This episode is part of a pod course offered by SpeechTherapyPD.com for ASHA-registered continuing education credit. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com for more information about how listening to this podcast can help you earn credits. folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of a several cups of coffees and, honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that I've had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So, do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech-generating device? or how to find the right fit for a speech-generating device? Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self-described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for a Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at firstbite at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website, drop a review, subscribe to obtain those coveted ASHA CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome back to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional Resources for the Pediatric Clinician. I'm your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the Fed category. You can't see it, folks, but I'm air quoting it there, the Fed category. And this is one that has been literally a year in the making. 
So needless to say, I am geeking out excited to let y'all know that Mr. Jeremy Pons, licensed dietitian nutritionist from Columbia, South Carolina, and um, super daddy extraordinaire to a whole group <laughs> of girls, um, will be our guest speaker today. I first met Jeremy a few years ago when we were working together at Newberry County Memorial Hospital, and we would um, run and trip over each other trying to get into the super teeny tiny dictation rooms there. And our paths overlapped, um, uh, I think a year or two years later when um, we were both consulting at a private practice and he was making dietary recommendations for uh, the pediatric patients um, that had severe feeding aversions that I was treating on that side. Um, after several conversations, and trust me, this is embarrassing and humbling to admit, um, I realized I don't really have a clue what a registered dietitian does. Um, and I don't have a clue about the different formulas that our patients are taking, much less what those formulas were doing to the patient's bodies, overall health, and helping them reach their developmental goals. Um, it was definitely not covered in my dysphagia class that I took a million years ago. Um, if, if you're a unicorn and it was covered in your dysphagia class, then <laughs> don't ruin it for the rest of us. Um, all right. So after a series of uh, Facebook messenger uh, phone tag, we finally, stars line, we pegged down a date and um, we today get to hang out and geek out on all things formulas. So, um, Mr. Jeremy, how is that for a very honest intro? That's awesome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about all the all the crazy, nutty world of uh, nutrition and the and the weird little details that we think about that no one even knows what we're talking about. So, I'll, so this should be fun. <laughs> awesome. Yes, because once the registered dietitian starts going really technical, all of us kind of glaze over. And uh -huh. we yeah, yeah. We're talking about flow rates and calculations and people are like, what is, what is going on exactly in your head? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I, it makes me think of the penguins from Madagascar. Wave and nod boys, wave and nod. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> all right. So, um, all right. So talk to me a little bit about you. Where did you study? Um, talk to me about your practice and enlighten us to how you got to here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I went to, um, I attended Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina uh, for both my undergrad and master's. So I got my um, uh, undergrad in nutrition and dietetics there and then finished my master's uh, there a few years later and um, came straight from there into the clinical world. Um, so I went and did my clinicals um, at Palmetto Health Richland in Columbia. And from there, I actually worked with them um, on the inpatient side for about six years. Uh, went by really fast. Um, and, and in that world, that's kind of where I first connected and got involved with pediatrics. I saw a lot of adults there, but um, because of my position, I actually had a floating position that put me in basically every single spot that there was, which was really good, got a lot of well-rounded um, uh, expertise, but I also got to work with the talented people and both the NICU, which put a whole new world uh, you know, exposure to me, as well as working with Kelly Lewis, um, the pediatric dietitian at the Children's Hospital. And so that sort of introduced me to the world of peds, and then uh, uh, later I moved over and began doing their outpatient counseling there um, and did that for a couple of years. 
then started into private practice. Uh, and I've been doing that ever since. So I've been doing private practice along with some contract work, uh, like you said, where we met at Newberry Hospital. So still working with that population some. And then in my private practice, I work uh, with both adults and peds, uh, but working a lot with uh, people with food allergies and intolerances and gut issues. And in the process of getting my functional nutrition certification in that area. And I'm super excited about that because it's really opening up my world and kind of giving me a better picture and a more in-depth picture to help the really sick people. Um, so, so that's what I do. It's, it's a lot of fun and, and there's never a dull moment. <laughs> and what's, um, if folks have questions after we get done and um, they, they want to reach out and talk to you, what is the name of your private practice? Do you have a website, Facebook page? Yeah, it's uh, Path of Life Nutrition. Um, it's in Lexington, South Carolina. And uh, my website is www.pathoflifenutrition.com. Um, and you can also search the same uh, same name on Facebook. So you can find me there. And yeah, I'd love to connect with any folks who uh, want to reach out and kind of see what I do. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to give you a shameless plug because um, you're Mr. Humble Pie and wouldn't do it. But um, I know <laughs> people are going to have questions. So there it is. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm just like, ready. Let's go. All right. So, um, talk to me. Um, all right. I go in, I go do my swallow eval and you know, the mom's telling me, Oh, well we're doing, um, uh, you know, three cc's of, or 30 cc's of, um, Peptamin Jr. And I'm like, okay, can we put that one in ounces? Because I don't, need <laughs> and, well, that'd be um, nice, wouldn't it? yeah, I'm like, okay, I, I, I speak in ounces. Um, and then, um, talk to me what, all right. So Peptamin Jr. Okay. And then I just smile and nod, smile and nod. And I'm right. worried about, are they aspirating? Do they, you know, have any, you know, premature leakage? Like how much are we actually consuming? What are we wet vocal quality? Um, the, I, I'm looking at those mechanics. I forget that I should also be considering what's in that bottle. Um, right. So um, can you talk to me about what are the different formulas that are out there? Because we're like blank slates. Sure. Awesome. Yes. No, be happy to. So basically when it comes to formulas, you're going to see them split into three main categories. You're going to, and they're in it. The categories are divided based on protein structure because that's kind of the initial question we ask. And that's simply because when you're introducing food into a digestive tract, you need to know what condition their digestive tract is in. And depending on the child, it's going to be better or worse. They may have metabolic issues. They may have um, intolerances. They may have enzyme problems. And all of those equate to being able to tolerate some formulas better than others. And so when we ask our first question, when we're establishing what sort of, of um, formula you're going to have, we're looking at, okay, what is the protein structure that this child can tolerate? And that basically gets broken into three areas, either an intact protein, which essentially means a protein that has not been disturbed. So you're going to see something that maybe is a more than likely a milk protein base uh, of some type. It'll either say milk protein concentrate or milk protein isolate or something along those lines, sodium caseinate, whatever it may be. And we consider that an intact protein. And that's kind of your standard base. That's what you're going to see the majority of people on um, that are on, you know, these types of formulas and examples of that 
you know, would be things like Nutrin Junior or Boost Kit Essentials 1.5. Like those are those are uh, examples of, of what an intact formula would be. Or if you're looking at infants, just your normal infant formulas like Similac or Infamil, Pediature. Okay. Can um after I breastfed, I'm I'm a huge fan of you know feed the babies at the booby if we can, yep. um but um let me tell you what when that and I know you're a dad so you get it but when that first one grew teeth I was like and I'm out <laughs> mom's done <laughs> oh yeah so, yep, been there done um, that four times yeah <laughs> yep, yep so mom's done um we moved over to Earth's best organic uh-huh. formula is that yeah. an example of like an intact formula it is it is so that's an example of an organic uh intact cow milk based formula okay. um so so most if you look at an infant side on your intact level you're going to see some that are cow's milk based goat milk based human milk based or soy based those kind of your four different areas for for infant formulas and in those in that spectrum then most of those are also going to be intact formulas. Uh, so Earth's Best is an example. Like I said, Similac or Infamil is an example. Um, Infagrow, uh, Pure Bliss is one that uh, I believe Abbott has come out with recently. That is an organic non-GMO uh, version of a normal infant f- formula that, again, is an intact cow milk protein. So m- by and large, most people are going to start there and that's kind of where you want to stay unless there's a problem. And that's really how we usually start out. And so when you talk to, you know, when I talk to parents, that's one of the things I'll ask in their history is, okay, what's the progression of all the formulas you tried? Because if I see them on something like, you know, Neosure and or Nutramagen, I'm thinking, okay, they definitely have a GI history and I need to see what the progression is and why they ended up way down the line on a formula that's really specialized. And so you start with an intact protein. If that's not working, then more often than not, either they may switch to something like a sensitive, you know, which our kids did um, when they needed formula. They did like a, a Similac sensitive or, or pro sensitive, or I think the one we did was Nestle, um, uh, a Nestle like gentle ease or something. Yep. Anyway, it ended up being much better tolerated simply because the protein was partially broken down. Um, and so the next step you go to is what we call a hydrolyzed or a peptide-based formula. And that's where the protein is not completely uh, broken down, but it's broken down into what we call peptides, where the proteins are in smaller pieces. And then that allows a baby or a child to, to, to take it in with less digestive problems and less issues. And so if there's a, an enzyme problem or they're having a lot of colic or you know uh, constipation or whatever that's going to be the next step we go to. And so you'll see things like uh, Similac Alimentum, um, Pediasure Peptide, your Peptamin Junior, that's an example of one of those, and Nutramagen. Those are all these sort of hydrolyzed formulas that basically allow a child to eat, to use that easier. And then in the case where those still aren't working, and that's in the child usually that has like a, a, a true food allergy, maybe a dairy allergy, maybe a soy allergy, maybe something along the lines of just, you know, something in that formula that they cannot tolerate. That's when we take them all the way down to what we call an elemental formula. Okay. And an elemental formula is, is basically where there is no uh, resemblance to any whole food in that formula that they can react to. So the proteins are, are completely broken down into amino acids. It's just pure amino acids. And those amino acids then allow you to assimilate and take in 
that formula with minimal effort, minimal work, um, and minimal reactions. And so with people who are having tremendous uh, problems like eosinophilic esophagitis. Um, EOE, sorry. Yeah, yeah, EOE, that's right. EOE and, and issues where they're having tons of reflux that's due to food allergies or they're ha- they have metabolic or uh, DNA abnormalities. Um, then these elemental formulas like NeoSure, Elecare, um, Vivanex, NeoKate, Junior, those are what we use as sort of that last step. And, and 99.9% of the time, they work great. They just taste terrible. So you don't ever want to have to drink them, but, during a, but in a tube feed, they work great. Okay. Now, I um, actually have had the pleasure of working with a couple kiddos that had EOE. Um, yes. And one of them, um, he got put on Elecare Junior, but vanilla flavored because he didn't need a feeding tube. He was able uh, to transfer well i mean he he had a feeding tube but structurally his swallow was sound so once the esophagus healed and he had eight wheel eight weeks of like esophageal rest then we produced um so adding that vanilla does that does that make it more complex or is it just Uh, it 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 helps it helps the flavor um it's probably still (laughs) not great (laughs) um it doesn't really uh, affect the nutrition thankfully um but uh but yeah i mean they they try to disguise it when they can that that's a good a good try you know it's just that when you're taking straight amino acids it's pretty rough (laughs) okay okay just general curiosity do they make like registered dietitians go through and like taste test all these things uh sometimes uh now you know it's funny because I uh, we used to have to taste test in our meetings at Palmetto Richland where a new product would come in and they'd pass it around. But you always have those who are going to refuse because they're like, oh, that's terrible. I'm not tasting that. You know, so I always think it's a good idea because I don't want somebody to have to take something I don't have to take. But, man, I'm going to tell you, some of these things are pretty rough. <laughs> OK, well, OK, because that that uh, when I was in grad school and they were doing like the fees exam, like where they do the um, flexible endoscopy to like see the swallow. Um, mm. I was like, nope, try it on me because I want to know if I have to refer this out to a patient. I yes. want to know. Horrible yes. decision. Deviate. <laughs> He whipped that thing out and I was like, squirt, squirt, all the blood. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah that, that stuff is, is not pleasant. But I do think it give, makes you a better practitioner if you can empathize with people. So, you know, it, I think it's good to know what they're going to go through. And, uh, you know, so I try to I try to taste things when I can because I want to at least have an idea of what, what are they having to deal with? <laughs> what are we doing to the babies? Okay. Right. All right. So, all right. So for my kiddos, from clinical perspective, when I go in and I do my eval, and normally I SLPs are in there before you guys get there. Like yeah. that's just that's how it works. So yeah. I go in and I do my eval, and I got a six week old whose mother's been attempting to breastfeed. They're struggling to latch, but the six week old has head to toe eczema. That for me is a red flag for food allergies. Yes. Um, when I see the, especially, I mean, six week olds should not have eczema. I mean, baby, we're not supposed to have eczema. Right. And when um, I see that we have a lot of emesis or we're spitting up and I'm not talking like it's a tiny burp and we dribble. I'm talking right, like, like projectile. Yeah. Yeah. And typically when I do my PMH, my past medical history, and I get the diagnosis of FTT or failure to thrive, it's. Nine times out of 10, it's either there's a GI issue or there's Mm -hmm. an allergy issue. And then Mm -hmm. I ask the question, how many formulas have you tried? And they give like, they've tried three different formulas. They've tried breast, say it's a four month old and every month they've been on a new formula. Um, My first thought is we got to get an RD, make a referral, um, 
build a bridge, build a bridge. Absolutely. Um, and, um, but a lot of times, um, pediatricians will just send families home with various samples. Um, yep. And just tell them, go, go experiment and let me know how it goes. And it's, okay. it's a, it's a train wreck. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I don't want to cause offense with pediatricians, because let's be honest, that's our referral source. They're right. the gatekeepers of getting patients to us, especially when you're in the private practice world. But sure. um, how how would you recommend that SLPs or OTs, because there's some amazing peds OTs that get called yep. in for feeding as well, because we have an overlap in scope of practice. Um, how do you recommend that we teach our families to advocate to get the referral to you so that you guys can do your more than calculator magic? Um, yeah, that's, that's an awesome question. Um, and I don't know if there's a perfect answer to it, but because it does depend on the pediatrician and some of them are great about this and some of them are not so much, but I, I always encourage families to say, um, you know, you know, just to tell them, look, we're, we're confused. We need more expertise. We need someone to help walk us through the process. We're really kind of um, you know, scratching our heads about what to do about this. Um, and we need someone to help us help guide us through the process. And as a, as a SLP, you know, you guys can say the same of, look, you know, I'm trying to work with this child. Um, but there's a lot of red flags that we are seeing on the, you know, nutrition assimilation side. We really need some expertise and somebody who can come in and evaluate what's going on and, and help these parents navigate these formulas and figure out which one's the best um, and you know just say look you know can we can we get a referral to a dietitian because that is that is what needs to happen um, that you know part of our part of our job is is to know those formulas and be able to understand how to navigate them and to be able to look at the picture and figure out okay what have they been on and what has and hasn't worked, and then make an, make an actual informed decision on where to go next. Because one of the things that happens, and this is this is gets overlooked a lot by um, by parents, pediatricians, and a lot of people is when you send them all on a bunch of samples, and then they try something for three days, and they're like, oh, this is terrible. This isn't working. He's still spitting up and throwing up and all this kind of stuff. They switch to a new one, and then they have the same issue. And the problem is the baby goes through this horrible GI whirlwind of introducing all these different formulas and one of them might actually be fine if they would allow the system to calm down but they never get a chance to actually calm down enough to be able to use a formula and so they just can end up being in just in this vicious cycle and they can't find one that works um, because they haven't gone about it the right way and that's part of what really gets overlooked and sends people in kind of this spiral and the continued fail to thrive and, and all the other problems. Okay. So is there, is there a timeline that we can like encourage families to stick it out while we're trying to get them to you? I usually, I usually, there, there sort of is. Um, what I usually tell people is to give it, give it about a week. You know, you need more than three days. You okay. need about a week. Um, but, but that's also a little bit frustrating in that a lot of times they get sent on things they shouldn't have gotten sent home on. And so they're trying to use something that's not going to work. And so it's a little bit of a catch-22. Like we kind of need to be in there ASAP. Yeah. And the doctors really should be referring them out at the beginning of that process. And so a lot of it is unfortunately just trying to play catch-up um, for, for both of us in that we've just tried to get in there when we can 
and help them navigate these things um, because it can it can really send them in a bad spiral if they kind of keep bouncing around from one thing to another. And and basically, I would say I usually tell people whichever is causing the least amount of issues, try to stick with it for at least a week until we can figure out what's going on. Um, or that's also a point where I would literally be willing to uh, talk to a family by phone for 10 minutes and figure out, you know, just off the top, okay, what's the big, big issue? What are you doing? And then tell them, okay, go buy this and try this. And then let's talk in a week. Um, you know, it's just because to me, time is of the essence in a situation like that. Okay. All right. Now I have always been under the, um, and correct me if this is a misunderstanding that Nutramagem and Almentum also, can we all agree that in Almentum baby, you can smell those babies before you see them. Um, <laughs> um, I have always thought that those two formulas were specific for um, food allergens. I didn't know that those were that help me out here. Hydrogized. Hydrolyzed. Yes. They're peptide based. Yeah. Okay. So they, so they are, they are for food allergies. Um, and we use those as a first step. Um, and, and, and essentially, interestingly enough, a lot of times like a baby who has a dairy allergy, for example, can be on alimentum or nutramogen and still tolerate it, even though those, those formulas are dairy based. Um, and so by breaking it down into a peptide uh, base, a lot of times you will eliminate the allergic reaction that they were having because they're not dealing with the, the whole protein. They're dealing with a piece of it. And, yeah. and so a lot of times that does work. Um, it just doesn't always work. And sometimes they're still struggling, still not getting resolution of their symptoms and really need to go to an elemental. And they just don't always get there um, when they need it. Or, you know, it's sometimes it gets real gray because I think that, that doctors are just as confused <laughs> um, and they're not really sure what to recommend in certain cases either. Okay. All right. So, we have three main protein types, the intact, the mm -hmm. peptide, and then the elementum or mm -hmm. elemental. And then um, how does the body absorb or break down those different foods? How are they utilized in the body? Yeah. So, um, you know, so your intact protein, you know, your pretty much all your proteins start their um, digestive process in the stomach. The stomach is actually what's designed to break down proteins. Now, if you think about that, that actually affects what you're going to give. So for example, if I have a baby with a J-tube and we're feeding a J-tube, I don't want to give them an intact formula because we've already bypassed the stomach. And so what is going to break the protein down? There's no acid there. In the small intestine, the acid isn't there. And so an intact protein is ideally broken down to peptides by the time it leaves the stomach. And okay. so it's there to help um, help to, you know, it's there, the stomach is there to break proteins down and then it passes it off to the small intestine where those peptides are further moved along the duodenum and into the uh, jejunum. And then finally the ileum where further protein breakdown happens along the way. Most of the protein is finished broken down by the jejunal part and then the ileum basically is absorbing water and nutrients from that point forward. Your others, your, your peptide base and elemental, basically just uh, shorten that process. So they allow you to bypass the first step of acid digestion that usually happens in the stomach and get straight to the process of breaking those peptides down to 
get them across the brush border of the intestine into the bloodstream where they can be used, or in the case of elemental, just transport. There's no breakdown that needs to happen. It's just literally straight in like a sponge, soak it up and go into the tissue. And, and so those are essentially different steps along the same route. You know, it is, each one is a further step along the same route for the protein digestion. As far as the rest of it, you know, the carbohydrate side, for example, that is somewhat similar across all the formulas, even though there are differences in, for example, the types of carbohydrates that are designed for easier uh, gut digestion to help prevent colic and bloating and that sort of thing. So you'll see stuff like galacto and oligosaccharides. You'll see stuff that's maltodextrin-based or pure sugar-based or whatever. And that is based on how well or how, how they're trying to allow the carbohydrate to be broken down and digested. And fats basically are the same across the board for most all formulas. There are some differences, but fats don't typically cause an issue unless there's a metabolic problem. And then we use specialty formulas for that. Okay. So, so that's kind of the, 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 the quick and dirty. And then your nutrients pretty much are absorbed the same at all of them. Okay. All right. So, all right. Now I have, I have so many questions. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me, all right. From my perspective, when I want to go in and I want to do PO trials, a lot of the kiddos that I have that are on these, um, these formulas and they get them. Um, and again, we'll, we're going to come back and talk about feeding tubes. So I don't want to go down that route, but like, even when they're on like a Pediasure bottle or mm -hmm. a Pediasure sippy cup, I mean, they may take eight ounces of that. And then I'm supposed to go in and do my best attempt at like some PO trials to build them up to wanting table food or pureed food mm -hmm. or whatever they're, um, and what I have found is that my kiddos that are on a lot of those formulas, they're not pooping. Oh, yeah. um, they're constipated. Um, they're irritable. Um, and um, they're uncomfortable. So, and they're always full. Those formulas right. make them full. And then right. I am set for failure from a peds dysphagia, peds feeding perspective, because I I can't get anything in upstream because downstream hasn't cleaned out, that. moved out. Yeah. So, um, and when I try to call, and this is, I had this conversation on Monday and on Tuesday this week with the same pediatrician's office. Um, they're like, Pediasure doesn't, these formulas, they don't cause constipation. Um, you're misunderstanding. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Because yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that you might. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. On behalf of all feeding therapists across the nation, help. <laughs> yeah, um, man, I wish I wish there was a I wish there was an easy answer to this one. It, it's it's kind of a combination problem. Um, okay. It starts out with the fact that a lot of times they are avoiding food, so they're trying to take in a liquid diet from a liquid that isn't that is a milk based product. So that's a problem in the from the get go. And so number one, uh, milk is constipating. Okay, so milk and cheese. Uh, dairy is constipating. But it's so and, good with wine. <laughs> no, it is. It's great. Which, you know, hey, if you're not overeating it, it's never going to cause a problem. And that, and the problem is the balance. The problem is the proportion and balance. So in a lot of kids, uh, the Pediasure is making up the bulk of these feeding kiddos meals. Um, and, and so that's kind of what's in their system. There's not a whole lot else in there. And so when that's the case, you have so much milk protein, you're going to have constipation without question. 
Okay. And, um, and so that's number one. Number two is because they're not eating food, they're not getting fiber. Now you can get Pediasure with fiber, but that's not the one that's prescribed ordinarily. Um, but even the Pediasure with fiber, in my opinion, isn't going to be enough to make up the difference. And so what they need in their diet are some sources of fiber. And then the third problem, a lot of times, is hydration. So they're not drinking enough water, which means their stool is too hard, and they're not able to move things through. Um, and then, and then the fourth problem, on top of all of that, is that it's not just a constipation thing. It's a it's a satisfaction thing in that the Pediasure <clears throat> is very satiating. It, it fills you up because of the the blend of stuff. It's it's a complete meal, quote unquote, and it's high in sugar. And so yes, that's like the first or second ingredient is sugar. Yeah. I and mean, so it's I don't so know sweet. Like yeah, it's like crack. And so it's so sweet. These kids are like, ooh, yum. Let me get a Pediasure. I don't want my food. I'm just going to drink the Pediasure. And yes. they get stuck on the Pediasure and then they won't eat. And that is a problem I go round and round and round with parents about. And ultimately that boils down to how 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 attentive and desperate parents want to be because some of them are just desperate to get their kids to eat. And they're like, if she'll drink it, drink it. Don't worry about it. But my philosophy is always you make them have food first. And then if there is still a lack, a shortage of food, you give this as a follow-up. Um, but a lot of people do it as a first. They just pop the Pediasure, sit it on the table, say, drink, a, drink up. And then the kid skips their food. And then you come in and they don't want your, your food either. And, and then you're kind of in this bad cycle. Yes, that's, that's my world. Okay. And what that um, satiation feeling, um, yes. that is probably the bane of my existence because um, it, it's like feeding tube dependency without a feeding tube. It the- is, and 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 I'll tell you, <clears throat> this is and this is a um, uh, a tragedy. Like I'm, I there's so many so many pieces of this puzzle. I can't give a, a one good fix, but I know for a fact that. I've never seen in the history of mankind so many kids on reflux medications in my life. Yes. Like it's it's epidemic. It's absolutely epidemic. Okay. Kids, I mean, literally, it seems like to me about one in three, maybe one in four mm-hmm. kids seem to be on reflux yep. meds. Okay, that's that's a problem, number one. You should not have reflux as a child. Okay. And then what happens is then, of course, there are kids who need it who have like all the, you know, regurgitation, all this kind of stuff, but the issue that a lot of people overlook with reflux medications is what is the thing? What do they do? What they Cause do is they, well, it, it can as a, as a side effect, but what it does is actually kills your stomach acid production. And when it kills your stomach acid production, you have slow gastric emptying, mm-hmm. low motility. And slow motility means you stay full forever. Mm-hmm. And so you just have this cyclical issue because very possibly, at least part of the reflux was caused by bacterial imbalance and constipation down the line. That really never gets addressed. We just kind of throw them reflux medication on top to keep them from regurgitating and causing issues in their esophagus, and and you're fighting a, you're fighting a battle at that point because because you're trying to get their gut to move when it doesn't want to move. You're trying to get them to eat when they don't want to eat. Um, but you, but if you stop reflux, stop the reflux medication, you're in a, another pickle, and so it ends up being a balance that a lot of healthcare teams don't ever try to fight because they don't want to deal with the bigger picture that you have to deal with to do that. Okay. So um, what is your opinion on probiotics? Because I get asked that a lot and my default is um, 
you know, that's outside of my scope of practice. You need to speak with your RD and your pediatrician. And then they say, well, what do you do as a mom? And as a mom, we do it because, right. and, we, and we change them and we offer varieties because this particular mom doesn't sleep very often. And when I don't <laughs> sleep, I wake up in the middle of the night right. and I get, and I do research because I'm t- totally nuts. And, um, uh, my limited research is you change up your probiotics. That way you have a variance of extra gut microbes being presented. So lay that on. So, yeah. So opinion with that is that it's also a little more complex in that. Yes. Probiotics are awesome. Everybody needs them. We should all get them. Um, I'm drinking some right now. This is kombucha. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, and you, you need them in your diet, but we tend to try to oversimplify as Americans. We want to say, okay, let's just pop the probiotic. But what reality is you should be eating fermented foods. Um, that's just the bottom line. So, you know, yogurt and, and kefir and kombucha and sauerkraut and all these things. Now, yeah, kimchi. Now getting kids to eat sauerkraut and kimchi is probably not going to happen. But you know, the, the yogurt and kefir is a little more, a little more possible. But is that a, how you say that word? I've been calling them kefirs. I bet I call it kefir too. It's, it's, you know, that's a, that's a toss up. It depends on whether you're in the Middle East, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> that that boils down to do you pronounce it dysphagia or dysphagia? And it really depends on how old you are and where you went to school. So exactly, okay, yeah. I think uh, I think uh, kefir is if you're in the South, it's kefir, and uh, and then if you're if you're outside in the rest of the world, it might be kefir. But I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Leave so. it to us Southerners to butcher all pronunciation. I promise. Right, right. We can, we can butcher anything. <laughs> so, um, so ultimately it's a little more complex and, and, the, and here's why, um, everybody needs the good balance of bacteria. Yes. You need a variety and that's true too. So if you're taking supplements, it's good to rotate around, but there's a lot of kids, um, who, if their parents are asking about a probiotic, they've already got significant GI problems. And, and so for a significant number of those kids, you add probiotics and some of them are going to help them and some of them are going to make them feel a lot worse. And they may have a, an increase in symptoms uh, like colic and gassiness and fussiness and all this sort of thing, purely because their bacterial balance is out of whack. And, and a lot of your probiotics also have prebiotics and those prebiotics feed both good and bad bacteria. And so you could add a probiotic in and then they feel worse and they act worse. And you're like, what in the heck's going on? I don't understand this. And this happens a ton with my autistic kids. I went with an autistic, I've worked with an autistic um, child at one point for over nine months. And the entire nine months, we were trying a lot of different probiotics to try to find one that worked. And I was doing a lot of specialized ones that are purely for autistic kids. Never found one that worked every time we tried it significant behavior change, way worse um, issues with GI, colic, all this sort of stuff. And so the, the long and short of it is if a, if a child has purely digestive problems, a lot of times a probiotic will improve that. And, and it, but it also depends on the probiotic. But then if there's, if there's neurological things in play, mood and, and um, mm-hmm. uh, a behavioral stuff, you have to be careful. And so when I have, when I talk to parents about it, I have to get a little more of a history on them before I can recommend what direction to go with those. 
Have you, um, just geeking, extra geeky, um, have you read the research articles that came out of University of Arizona and um, the Ohio State, it was OSU, ASU a couple years ago about fecal matter transplant for oh, yeah. individuals? Um, yeah. Have you seen it? I haven't seen any follow-up studies, but. Uh, well, I, there's, there's actually, I don't know if, if they're doing any follow-up studies, but there's actually um, a ton of, of studying going on in this area. And what we know, what we know for a fact is that um, fecal matter transplants really help with uh, Crohn's, colitis, and a lot of times IBS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're a little more iffy on whether it helps with things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or uh, leaky gut issues or things like that, simply because those happen a little higher up in the intestine. And, you know, it's a little question as to how far it goes. Um, but in, in a, uh, a scenario where they're not responding to other treatments, um, honestly, a lot of times this, it works mir- miraculously because right. you're basically replacing the microbiome in, a, in one person with you know, stuff from a healthy person and the healthy person's bacteria overwhelm the bad bacteria and push it out. Okay, so um, it's pretty fascinating stuff. It, when I first read it, it like blew. My, all right, folks, in case you don't, you haven't read the article, Google it. <laughs> I always it's you. It's it's quite I interesting. Mean, they're, they're powerhouses in the field of research, and what they did was they did a study. Uh, what like eight years ago? I'm yeah, old. probably. Yeah, it was like eight or nine years ago where they took a series of children that were um um had autism spectrum disorders, and they took um healthy gut microbes, and they were chasing gut. They weren't chasing language. They were chasing healing working on the gut and they gave them healthy um gut microbes um uh i think it was a capsule or uh, an ng tube and they um put them in and inside of what like six weeks they had anywhere from six months to two years worth of language development Mm -hmm. and as a byproduct Mm -hmm. it was yeah it was unbelievable i always yeah. say what we don't know about the brain mouth and gut but folks what we don't know about the brain mouth and gut um but I, i'm curious the slp the language portion of me wants to know how long did those effects stay because mm, if we're mm-hmm. changing the flora and the fauna like that will is it permanent or or does it yeah does it go yeah. back yeah and do, yeah. like do they have to go back and do like recurrent or once they get to so here's this is this is how it works in Michelle land and answer this riddle. So like we have I take it as your gut is the base of your house. This is your foundation. Mm-hmm. And then um we have to have proper core strength. Um so those are like our pillars. Those are our you know our 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 post in the house. And you can't if you if your gut is unhealthy then the foundation is weak. If you have built your house with um, poor pillars, your core strength, you can't sit up to move, you have limited mobility, um, you can't get up and crawl, then that's going to negatively impact your um, GI motility. You're not going to be able to poop because right. you can't get up and move. Sure. And and then you add in your electrical wiring could be all hosed, and that's your the enteric nerve system of your stomach. And if we have severe acid reflux, like the, like the vasovagal reactions and all. Yes, yes. But if we start here, if we start with working on making sure the gut is healthy, 
And a lot of that has to do with, like you said, finding the right balance in the formulas and where are Mm -hmm. we with our, you know, pre and probiotics. And then we're working um, collaboratively to make sure our core strength with the OTs and the PTs is right. I mean, it's beautiful. You could build a McMansion. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and, and if we start using good, good building blocks, uh, that would happen. And I think that's the key is, is getting to the point where these kids are actually getting fed really good food. And that's a whole nother topic, you know, cause I could, there are lots of stories about families who switch from quote unquote commercialized formulas over to either a blenderized home formula or, uh, something like now there's a food-based blenderized formula called Liquid Liquid Hope and Nourish. Yeah, both of those that um, are basically demonstrating the benefit of whole foods um, okay. and how your body likes them more. So this have, this really gives us, you know, uh, uh, what you put in there really does make a difference in how you're going to react. Okay, so here's here's my question. Um, when I was in Hang with me. I was in Kansas City a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and there was, um, oh my gosh, you would have loved her. There was this registered dietitian in the room. She was sassy. She had fun, bright hair, but she was just like nice. on it. And sure. she said, um, she's a huge fan, um, was a huge fan of like the organic plant-based actual blended food, like nourish liquid hope, those kind of things. But what she found was that when her kids had been on it for a year and that was the only thing that they had taken for that entire year that they weren't trying other foods yeah. that the the gut had compensated back to being constipated hmm. and that um and she had a couple that had when that's the only thing that they're exposed to sure five six times a day for a year yep. the gut yep. needs the diversity and so she's like, I, I like to use that with a blenderized diet of yeah. actual foods. That was her, that's what she said she recommended for her patients. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that um, because much like your body needs muscle confusion in a physical workout, um, your gut needs exposure to diversity because two things would happen. One, um, it compensates and and then it quits uh, tolerating and, and taking in as much nutrients from those foods. And two, you can actually create intolerances if you're exposed to the same thing over and over and over and over too much with, with no rotational break. And, uh, and so I'm a huge fan of diversity in your food, which I think is the reason why God made foods to grow in different seasons, um, because you've got oh different foods. Oh my God, foods. that's brilliant. You know, different foods in different seasons. And yes. so you have a different diet depending on the season. And so your body's made to go through a constant cycle of of change and rotation. And uh, if that doesn't happen, then you get dependent on things. And even, for example, even timing of food, um, you know, we know from studies way back in the 50s when they established the RDAs for nutrients that if you if you feed like, let's say, vitamin C every single day, 500 milligrams every single day, the body actually downregulates how much it'll take from that vitamin C. It'll actually cut down by like half what it's absorbing. But then if you take it away for like two days, three days, add it back in, it's already upregulated again. And so by rotating through foods, you actually absorb them more efficiently rather than feeding the same thing every single day because the body says, oh, well, I'm already getting this X amount, so I'm going to cut back how much I'm absorbing because I don't want to absorb too much. And then it creates this bad process of poor digestion and absorption that isn't being interrupted by breaks. Okay. Hmm. 
you just blew my mind on the seasonal food difference. So I'm still processing <laughs> that's that. Pretty, like, it's pretty, pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to sign up for the summer CSA at the local organic farm now. So thank you. Yes, yes. I'm glad you reminded me. That's been on my mind. And we've been getting a couple of things from a local stand, but I need to go ahead and and jump in. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, okay, I got that email this morning. So folks, check out your local CSAs. Woo! Um, That's right. Um, All right. So then I have one quick question um, to wrap this up before we break for um, opening to questions. Um, What? How do you normally pick which formula to put these kids on? Mm, that is that is a great question. That is the million dollar question. Um, but uh, that's that's basically where the where the clinical judgment comes in. So I am looking at a lot of different factors, but it boils down to uh, first off checking out where is their digestive function. Do they have the ability to take in intact proteins or not? Do they have intolerances? food allergies, um, what is their gut condition like? So, okay, are they feeding in a PEG uh, or a G-tube or are they feeding through a J-tube? So then that's going to change um, what I what I recommend because of the protein digestion aspect of it. And then beyond that, I'm also going to look at, okay, what, what rate, which we can get into this next time when we talk about rates, but what rate can they tolerate? So some kids can only tolerate small volumes which means I've got to give them a higher concentrated amount of food to get it into their system. So then that's going to dictate whether I do, for example, say a uh, peptamin versus a peptamin 1.5, because the 1.5 is 50% more calories. So that, so, you know, those things come into play. And then finally, I'm going to look at their overall broad health picture of what's their goals, what's their neurological function, what's their physical function. Um, Are they failure to thrive or are they overweight, normal weight, um, do they have uh, behavioral issues so that I'm not wanting to feed dyes and tons of sugar and stuff like that? Just looking at that kind of picture. And when I put all that together, <laughs> magical potion, um, I, I come out with, you know, uh, basically some guidelines of, okay, let's try this, see how this works. And then there's always tweaking. Sometimes you get it right the first time. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't you need to go back and try a second or third thing to just figure out what they're going to work with. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. All right. Well, um, I just looked at the clock and we are going to have like a super short um, Q&A time because we like way surpassed our like 45 minutes um, timeline. But um, I told you I was wicked excited about this topic. Um, (laughs) One one more time, um, if people have um, pertinent case questions, they can't get their answers answered in um, your um, website and your Facebook. Can you lay that? Oh, yeah, one um, website is www.pathoflifenutrition.com and Facebook is uh, Facebook forward slash Path of Life Nutrition. Um, and then you can uh, reach me by email from either of those places. And I'd love to love to talk with you guys. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. (laughs) 